You're listening to the Investing.com's weekly crypto podcast with your host, Clément Thibault. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Cryptoc, Investing.com's weekly crypto podcast. So I'm hoping that you're having a wonderful holiday season, that you get to spend time with your family and friends. And today we're having uh, quite a bit of a special episode. Today we're going to be summarizing the year that was. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to be talking about the year that will be, and we'll be doing a 2019 outlook. Uh, but today, it's time to look back and kind of see what happened in crypto in 2018. So that's what we're going to be doing. Uh, apart from that, so like always, this is usually a show that's about 15, 20 minutes, 25 minutes that tries to go over uh, the weekly news. And this is not what we're going to be doing today, but this is what you usually do. And uh, it's meant to give people that are interested uh, a way to catch up with the markets, to catch up with crypto world in about 20 minutes. So this is what the podcast usually is. It's not what it's going to be today. And uh, all right, let's let's uh, let's dive in into this year. We're going to be talking about the prices, the volatility, uh, the regulations, the fundamentals. We're going to be talking about a bunch of things. So let's go. So trying to summarize a year like 2018 in a volatile asset class like crypto is, is quite of a challenge, really, because you... There's so many things to talk about and, you know, so many things happened this year. But I want to start by kind of addressing the price. So obviously the price is way down than what it was a year ago. And while a year ago everyone was happy around Christmas time because everyone was making, you know, loads of money, uh, this is not what's happening today. And most people are maybe out of the market or very depressed with the results that they've gotten this year. So Bitcoin is down about 80%, and it's one of the least worst performers that we've had this year, so that says a lot. Uh, Ethereum, even after the bounce uh, this week, is still down about 91%. Uh, XRP is about 89 BCH. You know, it's I don't think it's even worth mentioning, but like 94% down. Uh, so yeah, so it's been a rough year for crypto prices. And one thing that I do want to address here is that for me, it's a good time to address kind of the HODL uh, mantra and, and why people always go, you know, you, you see that a lot on Twitter and everywhere you go on every forum, every public forum you go, you see a lot of HODLing and, and you know, hold on and it's going to be okay and hold on. And I really don't understand it, right? For me, you know, you're supposed to make logical investing decisions. You're not supposed to just getting emotionally attached to an asset and then just you know, whatever happens, you go with it. You know, life doesn't work that way. And if you want to be a successful investor, of course, you have to have your convictions, but you can't sacrifice gains and you can't sacrifice doing what's logical just because you are committed to, you know, an asset. This is the best way to lose money as far as I'm concerned. So really, the people that should be hodling and, and just ne never selling are the people that, you know, they, they don't care about the money. And if you happen to fall into that category that you don't care about the money because you have enough, then, you know, good for you. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to tell you what to do. You've made a lot of money. Obviously not my place. That's great. But for the rest of people that care about money and that have to pay bills and that want to buy Christmas presents and all that kind of stuff, why would you hold on to something that was, you know, obviously inflated and obviously in a bubble? Even if you believe in it, it was in a bubble and it was bound to crash and it has over the past year. And I, and I just don't understand why would you hold on. So for me, it's like one, maybe 0.01% of people should have held on Bitcoin throughout the year. 
and you know you could have sold and then just bought back about five times the amount of BTC that you know you you have right because if you have BTC and if you have like I don't know maybe ten bitcoins right you still have ten bitcoins but if you sold your ten bitcoins for USD and then bought back BTC you could have had fifty bitcoins so why not do that why do I go with the huddle mantra and why you know keep on saying no no it's gonna be okay it's gonna be okay sell rebuy when you're comfortable with the valuation you know i come from value investing so this is very obvious to me that you don't just hold on to an asset even if you think that it's good if its valuation is not to your liking and if you don't feel like this really reflects or if you feel that there's going to be a downturn in the market then yeah just sell and rebuy so really for me hodling is just a way to kind of psycho psychologically manipulate people into you know holding on to the market when they really shouldn't so I'm not down with with hodling, definitely. I'm I'm in with you know doing whatever you feel comfortable with and buying a good valuation, actually making money. And I you know they're saying that yeah everything fell, but Bitcoin fell less. It still fell eighty percent, right? If you were holding cash right now and right nothing did well this year, right? stocks are down, everything's down, okay. But if you held cash this year, then you would have been in a much better position today than you are by hodling. So talking, we're going to be moving on from that rant to a little bit of talking about the volatility. So the profile kind of changed over the year. Uh, we've seen Bitcoin really starting the year off uh, with a big spike in volatility. There were, I think, 36 days of 5% or more. And that number felt uh, nine days with 5% of more movements in the third quarter. And of course, the fourth quarter with uh, the drop in price and with Bitcoin breaking the seven the six thousand uh floor then yeah we've seen more more volatile days uh, there was a short period where bitcoin was less volatile than the s p 500 but obviously that you need you need to cherry pick the data to get that to work and the s p 500 with all the crazy year that it's been has had zero days of five percent movements so if you want to talk volatility, no, Bitcoin is not more stable than the S&P 500. And whoever is claiming that just has absolutely no idea what he's talking about. Uh, of course, you know, what, what, another thing that's affecting prices is, is the public interest. So if you look at, you know, traffic data here at investing.com, we can, of course, see uh, the drop off of interest with people. You know, you can see that the traffic on, on crypto pages are not as high as it was a year ago. Uh, you can also check that yourself on Google Trends. And you can see that uh, Google Trends search for Bitcoins is about, you know, 8% or 10% of what it used to be a year ago. And that kind of, that's kind of reflected in the price. And, and as long as there's not new money going in, then Bitcoin's going to have uh, and crypto is going to have a hard time, you know, rising its head and, and, of course, not reaching new highs. So that's regarding uh, the price. Uh, it's, it's mostly bad news. Yeah, it's a kind of a it's, it's kind of a bad way to end the year. And it's not exactly what I want to do. So I'm going to move on to some more positive things that happened with uh, Bitcoin this year. So the first thing, the first positive thing that I think happened this year is, is regarding so mining, right? So mining, we're talking about the hash rate on the network. So the hash rate is what keeps uh, the network safe, right? Generally, the higher the mining power and the hash, the hash rate, uh, the more secure the network is because it's more difficult to perform a 51% attack on the network. So Bitcoin hash rate started the year at about 13 terahashes per second, which means that's about 13 trillion calculations per second trying to find new blocks. And we peaked at 70, 
sorry, we picked at 57 terahashes, which is a lot higher. And I think that right now uh, we're about, I think we're at 40 and uh, 40, 44, and it never dropped below 32. So no matter where the price was, we at least were double the hash rate than we were last year. So that's definitely a good sign for this, for, you know, securing the network and for the health of the network. Uh, that's really good. Even as even as Bitcoin price dropped 80%, uh, and even as ma- miners' revenue dropped from an estimated $40 million a day to only $6 million a day, the, the hash rate and the network has never been more secure. Now, uh, talking about Bitcoin nodes, so, so nodes are what validates blocks and propagates blocks, and they're, you know, they're maybe... You know, with together with miners, they're probably the most important part of keeping the network, you know, safe and secure. So, according to CoinDense uh, data, there were about ten thousand Bitcoin nodes at the beginning of twenty eighteen, and just below ten thousand nodes as of yesterday. So we are seeing that even though uh, the price dropped massively, acquired users that were willing to set up nodes and use Bitcoin the trustless way, the way it was intended to be used, actually stayed the course. So the hardcore users, you know, didn't leave. And we haven't seen yet, and I'm hoping that we won't see, kind of a drop-off and and hardcore users losing interest because that would be, for me, uh, a big red flag regarding the health of the network. So as long as the network has a, a good miners and, and a good amount of hash on it, uh, trying to find new blocks and a good hardcore, you know, a good hardcore community that is dedicated to making the project succeed, then, you know, Bitcoin will be OK. And at before uh, before the boom last year, there were about, I think, 5,000, 5,500 nodes on the network. So we've added during the boom about five. 5,000, 4,500, 5,000 nodes. But you see that we haven't lost them as the price crashed. So that's good. Uh, So that's that's regarding price and the network itself. Um, On this podcast, I've talked a lot about regulations. And I've talked a lot about the SEC and the Bitcoin ETF and and where that going and and everything that happened every every week. There were news going out, you know, from the SEC. The SEC has been very active. So let's sum that up for a second. So 2018 was really uh, the year where crypto regula- where regulators got interested in crypto and started looking at projects and started looking at ICOs and started looking at exchanges and started you know giving their opinion regarding what was right, what was wrong, what was lawful, and what was unlawful. So the SEC, after staying out of the spotlight for most of the year, actually came down on a couple of ICOs. They came down on Air Fox and Paragon. We covered this on this podcast, if I'm not mistaken. And there were the first ICOs hit uh, by penalties by the SEC. And they were accused of issuing unregistered securities. Uh, Of course, this, I've said it then and I'll say it again. I think that really every ICO is at risk of, uh, you know, if you sold to U.S. investors especially, then you're probably at risk of the SEC coming after you. Because I really think that, 99% 99% of ICOs was, were unregistered security offerings. And, you know, I think we talked about it, how utility tokens don't really mean anything. And at the end of the day, if you put in money expecting to get more money out without doing something actively yourself, 
and if the project and if the purpose of the tokens was not was non-existent as the tokens were created that means that if they were telling you yeah in a couple of years you will be able to buy something on the network if you can't buy it today then it's a security and that's what the sec actions are telling us basically so i think that we'll see a lot more icos uh, in 2019 kind of feeling the sec's wrath and that that's something that we'll definitely be covering uh next year on cryptoc uh so other than that we've seen an exchange uh, ether delta uh, sanctioned for running an unregistered exchange which made complete sense uh, we've seen the sec also target musician the dj khaled and we've seen it also target the boxer floyd mayweather uh, for promoting their icos without compensation so I can think of of a couple more people uh with including Lionel Messi, one of the most one of the most popular uh, footballers. Uh I think he's endorsing uh, an Israeli ICO, the blockchain phone if I'm not mistaken. Uh so that that will be interesting to see if the SEC goes after him as well. Um but generally if we're honest, I really think that you know we've seen the wild wild west that crypto world can be at times uh in 2017 and 2018. And I really think that you know weeding out the bad actors is in the best interest of everybody. Because if you have a good project, you don't want to have to compete with projects that are breaking the law. It's not good for you because they also will probably be able to do things that you will not, right? So if I want to raise funds right now and you can raise funds unlawfully without you know you know without having any repercussion, you'll probably do better than me. Because you can cut corners and you can do a bunch of stuff that I can't. So I think that the SEC really, you know, working with the crypto world and getting involved more and more will actually lead the way to better quality projects and better quality people leading those projects. Uh, the SEC also had a, a FinHub set up so that people can communicate with it. You know, I'm not ex- I'm not super optimistic about it because the SEC still a government agent. And it's always hard, you know, to get really good contact with government agencies most of the time. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, Social Security, the IRS, or at the SEC. Uh, it's, always, it's always hard. Communication with those agencies is always hard. But it's, it's good that, you know, they're trying and they're setting up something. And, and we'll see in 2019 whether it goes. So regarding um, the Bitcoin ETF, that's definitely worth uh, talking about. Uh, so not in 2018 which is exactly uh, as predicted. Uh, I, the date for the VanEck BTF, which is the most interesting one uh, for a couple of reasons. So it's the most interesting one because the prices rely on over-the-counter prices and not on exchange prices. So that's how they try to undercut the manipulation. And uh, it's also, it doesn't appeal to retail investors. So every share is at least 25 Bitcoin, which is $100,000. And they're trying to make it to be not a product for retail because those are the two major concerns of the SEC. So the decision on that should come February 27. So we'll definitely keep an eye on that. Will it be approved? Uh, state of the market right now, I don't see it approved. I don't think that February 27, we're going to have the first U.S. SEC-sanctioned uh, Bitcoin ETF. But, you know... You know, you never know, and things develop fast, but it's hard for me to see that happening. <clears throat> so now I, I want to close off uh, with the state of the industry. So 
how how is the industry doing you know the crypto blockchain in general you know what's going on with it so let's talk icos a little bit because we've touched it when talked when talking about regulation uh, but let's getting some numbers so according to coindesk icos have raised 16.7 billion dollars in 2018 which is a lot and it's a lot lot more than the 5.4 billion raised in 2017 2018 have also seen a lot more uh, ICOs than 2017, uh, 650 ICOs in 2018 compared to 343 in 2017. But uh, when I said, and I think I said it before, that ICOs are mostly dead. So how are they dead if they raised, you know, $16 billion? Well, the first thing to know is that EOS had a year-long ICO, uh, which ended, and they raised uh, $4.2 billion out of the 16. And then we've had Telegram that also had $1.7 billion in a private sale. So not a classic ICO, retail ICO, but from private investors. And then it's good to know that about $6.3 billion were raised in the first quarter. And as the year went on, the sums raised declined massively. And I think that uh, we closed September, I think, just above uh, half a billion so it's still, it's it's still it's still there, I guess, but it's definitely not you know taking off anymore, and we're definitely in the later stages of ICOs and 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 ICOs being a viable way of raising money. Uh, so other than ICOs, I think that we've seen a lot of crypto businesses not doing so well in 2018. Uh, I think I saw a report on the Verge that. Uh, 300 UK crypto businesses shut down in 2018. And there was also Consensus, which is a major Ethereum development studio. And they are said to be laying off at least half of their workforce. And so the bear market is definitely pushing people to the extreme and especially people that didn't necessarily manage their treasuries right. So if you raised, you know, $50 million in crypto and you sold 10 and kept five in crypto, then you probably had enough, you know, enough leeway to get through even a two, three year bear market. But the assumption should have been, and I think that many founders kind of played the trading game where they thought, hey, I'm going to keep my treasury in crypto. And as crypto goes up, you know, my treasury will go up in value as well. But when you're running a business, the certainty of knowing that you have money in the bank is much more important than, you know, hoping to make another extra quick buck on the money that you raised. And I think that many founders did not have proper treasury management. And this is why their businesses are failing right now. Because if you had sold most of it to ensure the operation has enough money for the next two to three years, Right. That that was your duty as a founder. That's your duty as a manager to make sure that the business will go on. But if, and if you didn't do that, then really, you know, I'm questioning your commitment to really creating a business and not to just raising funds to play with on the crypto market. So that's that's unfortunate. And I think that, you know, many people, not founders necessarily, but people that, you know, quit their jobs and went working for businesses like these, you know, trying to develop things, thinking that they had a lot of money and ended up being fired and being laid off because the business that they chose to work for, 
you know, did not properly manage its treasury. And that's really disheartening because at the end of the day, you know, those are people, those are careers, they have family and mouths to feed. And, and it's, it always, you know, it's always bad when people get fired. It doesn't matter how bad the decision was, you know, someone not having a job is, 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 always, is always a bad situation. Now, in a little bit uh, better news, uh, let's talk about VCs. So if, I see, if 2017 was ICOs, then 2018 was definitely VCs. So VCs, venture capitalists, and funds uh, were pouring money heavily uh, in the crypto and blockchain market this year. So again, according to Coindesk numbers, uh, an approximate $3.1 billion uh, was invested by VCs in blockchain and crypto in 2018. And if we look at uh, the entirety of blockchain investments by VC since blockchain was created, then we only get to $2.5 billion. That means that in 2018 alone, VCs funded more crypto and blockchain businesses than in the entire you know, nine years that passed combined. So that, that's, that's good news. And, and if you're looking to set up a business, you know, I know that many people have, you know, negative things to say about VCs and many people have positive things to say about VCs. I think at the end of the day, it's a very personal relation and it really depends on, you know, which VC and under what terms. And I think that there is a beneficial arrangement at the end of the day for everyone. Otherwise, you know, that model would probably cease to exist. So, so without getting into the questions or of our VCs bad or not, uh, I think this is this has been a pretty successful year for for VCs and crypto. Uh, just to put it into perspective, so we're talking right, three point one billion dollars invested in blockchain, uh, according uh, to reports that I've seen. Over seventy three billion dollars have been invested by VCs in total uh, over the first nine months of the year. So we're talking about a hundred billion yearly, and about three percent then went into blockchain. So even though VCs are definitely investing heavily and more than they've ever invested in blockchain and in crypto, it's not like, you know, it's taken over, you know, completely the industry and everything and everyone is investing just in that. It's still 3% of the market. It's still a reasonable amount. And the last thing that we're going to be mentioning today is institutions. So institutional money is coming is something that we've heard uh, quite a few times this year. And I think that while we haven't seen, you know, a deluge of, of money, uh, there's still been some like interesting advancements and I want to mention them. So first of all, uh, CME Bitcoin futures uh, started the year with a pretty low volume, uh, but the volume more than doubled and almost tripled this year from the first to the third quarter, which means that the interest in Bitcoin futures almost tripled this year so far. So that's interesting because you know, who trades futures? Well, yes, mostly institutions and funds are the one trading futures. Most retail investors are not trading futures. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, we've talked about it, about Fidelity actually opening a brand new business called Fidelity Digital Assets. And the business is supposed to be managing digital assets for funds and firms. And, you know, it's, it's a start and it's good to have that start and I think that, you know, uh, back it, we, we talked about it as well, trying to provide, you know, institutional grade uh, custodian solutions because uh, Goldman said, Goldman Sachs said that this is the one thing 
that is preventing them right now from entering the market and, and, and giving access to these assets to their customers, the lack of institutional grade uh, custodian solutions. So if we get over this hump, then yes, 2019 will be better from that point of view than 2018 was. Now, the one thing that I, I want to say, and, and I'll end it by that, is that I think that in, in today's world, people expect things to happen really fast. And we've seen crypto prices, you know, rocket to $20,000. And, and, and now people are expecting everyone to kind of jump in on the ship and, and drive Bitcoin prices or whatever to $100,000. But institutions, and when I'm saying institutions, I mean the SEC, and I mean Wall Street, and I mean everyone. It, they just don't operate like that. It's not like someone, you know, it's not institutions that will just pivot and just completely change the way they operate in a day. Right? So the SEC took its time to figure out what it wants to do with crypto. And now it's starting to see, we're only starting to see what it decided to do. And Wall Street is exactly the same. So these things take time, a year, two years three years. And I think that a lot of people in crypto and a lot of people interested in crypto really expected way too much, way too soon. And the world around just doesn't work like that. Technology moves fast. Institutions don't. So that's, that's, that's been a year. I can't believe that this is hard. This has been our crypto year. And uh, for me personally, you know, it's been a great one. I've had the opportunity to go and to meet many people in, in many conferences and, and give many speeches and talks in conferences about crypto and Bitcoin. And, and I'm going to be in London mid-January if anyone wants to meet me there. Uh, with pleasure, I'll be giving a speech in the Society of Technical Analysts uh, in the UK. So at the roundtable, the, the yearly outlook, where I'll be giving kind of an, my outlook on cryptocurrencies and my outlook on the market uh, in 2019. Uh, next week's episode uh, will also be kind of my outlook for 2019. So I'll give you, uh, you know, a sneak peek. I'll give you a preview of uh, what I'm about to say there. Uh, I didn't want to cram this into this episode because uh, I knew that this one was going to take at least 25 minutes. Uh, so I didn't want to have a too long of an episode. But I want to end by saying thank you for being with us here on Investing.com. Uh, thank you for listening in. Thank you for using the platform. Um, I'm, I really hope that you enjoy using it every day the way I enjoy using it every day. Uh, I want to wish you and yours a great year to 2019, a better year than this year was, you know, a year of, of advancement, you know, in your personal life, your professional life, wh whatever you're looking to achieve. I really hope that you achieve it in 2019. So that being said, I'm signing off for 2018. I'm Clement Thibault, and it's a pleasure being with, here with you every Sunday. So have a great, great year, everyone, and I'll see you next Sunday.